0: Some organizations focus on being resilient because they know it's the right thing to do, but some are just interested in checking off boxes for compliance purposes. And it's difficult for someone responsible for resilience to add value in a setting like that. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Resilient Journey podcast sponsored by Clear Risk. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and today's guest is an industry icon multiple award-winning risk and resilience expert, James Green. James calls himself a risk and resilience evangelist, and he's the co-founder of the Resilience Think Tank. Recently, I spoke with James about a topic of concern for many in the resilience or business continuity management field. Many of our colleagues find themselves in an uncertain time, struggling because they work for an organization that doesn't understand the value that they bring to the table. We'll get into my conversation with James after we hear from my friends at ClearRisk. Navigating changes in the risk landscape can be daunting without access to the right tools. ClearRisk's centralized risk management solution streamlines the process of data collection and analysis, helping customers make impactful decisions and focus on big picture initiatives. ClearRisk provides a highly configurable, easy-to-use solution that gives our customers the confidence to inform decision-making and proactively optimize risk in their organizations. Effective risk management begins with data you can trust. Learn more at ClearRisk.com. James, welcome to the podcast. I am thrilled that you are a guest on the show. We have so much to talk about. Before we get into it, tell us about how you got into risk and resilience.
1: Thanks, Mark. I am delighted to be here. I feel like I should apologize to your guests because we might go three hours on this. So I'll try to keep my answers uh, as short and brief as possible. I uh, I actually, like a lot of people, stumbled into our profession. I was in um, financial services during 2008. My company was acquired and all the employees were laid off. So it was during the Great Recession, the economy, the world was in a free fall, and I was looking for something else to do. And I got a call from two great friends of mine, Matt Linke and Jim Rillow said, uh, hey, there's this company, they are looking for someone really outside of the box to run their business continuity program. And I said, well, I'm your guy because I don't even know what business continuity is. I uh, I interviewed with the company over a few weeks. They ended up hiring me. I relocated to Tampa for that job. And Mark, I was so sure that I was going to be fired once they figured out I didn't know what I was doing that I moved into an apartment on a month-to-month lease. Wow! And I ended up falling in love with business continuity, falling in love with resilience. And you know, 13, 15 years later, here I am.
0: Well, you're an industry icon, and I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast. And along with me, you're also one of the founding members of the Resilience Think Tank, and I appreciate your leadership on that. Talk to me about what interested you in being part of the Think Tank and what you would like it to accomplish.
1: Yeah, so a couple of things intrigued me. First, working with... Um, you over the last year in the background and chatting and getting to know you, I really, um, admire and respect your views and opinions. And, you know, when you introduced me to the other co-founders, I just, I remember I kept saying on one of our first calls, like, this is the most interesting group that I've ever been a part of. I think our diversity in terms of age, experience, geography, you know, everything just really helps us mesh together as a true think tank. And I am really excited to to be able to give back to our profession and provide guidance and research uh, that's hopefully as unbiased as possible, that doesn't have an agenda, that's just really out there for, you know, the the people in our profession who, who have needs to become more resilient as, as people and in our
0: profession. One of the things I like about it, too, is it really is like a round table. There's no head. It's, you know, the six of us working together. And I, I think that's great. Initially, the focus of our group was on finding ways that BCM professionals can articulate the value that we bring to organizations. Looking at the struggle that we're seeing from some of our colleagues, they feel undervalued or underutilized. Maybe they feel like they aren't contributing to the organization. Maybe they weren't consulted during COVID or whatever. What are you hearing from our colleagues about their struggles to demonstrate value to their employers?
1: Yeah, we've certainly heard a lot about that as as Lisa and Melena, our co-founders of the Think Tank, wrote an article around this. And I do get asked that question all the time. How do I add value? How do I add value? How do I add value? And the first thing that I ask them back, and this isn't like a Socratic method of teaching, But I ask the person, whose definition of value are you using? And they usually stop and they say, well, what do you mean? And I say, well, are you using your definition of value, your boss's definition, the organization's definition? I really feel if you don't know what your organization's needs are, and if you don't know what they are today, because all of our organizations had very different needs 18, 24 months ago, if you don't know those needs, how do you even know where to start defining value? So, one of the things I often do, uh, you know, as a follow-up to that, they say, "Well, what does that mean?" So, the first thing I do when I'm I'm mentoring someone or coaching someone, do your risk management strategies align with the business strategies? And second to that, do your risk management strategies align with the culture of the company? You and I have had a lot of discussions about that. I get very confused when you have a very risk-taking type organization and then the business continuity and risk management people are very conservative. You're not gonna fit in. You're not gonna meet the needs of the organization. And then I think that rolls up to how are you providing value?
0: You, You talked about the article that Lisa and Milena wrote and I'm just gonna do a quick quote from it here. They say, now's the time to review our program strategies tactical elements, and operational elements to ensure that we're adding value. And that goes to what you were just talking about. Give us some practical examples of what that means and maybe how we can go about aligning our program to the organization's needs specifically.
1: Yeah. So the first thing I recommend is, do you know what keeps management up at night? That is a good way to find out what those organizational needs are. And then, like I said, I build from there. Do those risk strategies align with the business strategies? And you mentioned culture. So I want to bring that up again, because that is the biggest reason I think people fail in not adding value. If you are a very collaborative organization, so I'm currently reading a book on the management style of Netflix and you come in and the way you do BIAs to your point is you know requiring four or five levels of uh, signatory authority and approval, <clears throat> no one's gonna see value there even if there's value in the data. So the biggest thing that you can do quickly is align with the culture. That doesn't require money, that doesn't require consultants, that doesn't require cons- uh, software but it's really, are you aligned with that culture? And then I think a lot of times people in our profession are creating value, it's just not seen. And it's because of that, that cultural misalignment and that strategic misalignment. If we are a software startup and you and I are spending a ton of time focused on very small dollar risk, the investors don't care, the executive team doesn't care, why are why are we spending our time there so value is also you know proportion of are you doing big scary uh, unwieldy projects
0: well as consultants and we both have a bit of a consulting background you and i know the value of building up our reputation gaining momentum building on small wins and kind of increasing our influence whether it's in a market or with uh, a customer or in the case of someone who works for an organization with their employer. That's really not that different working in an organization. Those things are still important. So talk about how a professional can leverage even small wins to further their influence within an organization.
1: Sure thing. So the first thing I want to go back to is just like you and I discussed the definition of value, who's defining success? Is it you? Is it your boss? Is it the business? Because those are all three very different answers for success. And you should know all three of those because there's going to be things that are important to the business that your boss doesn't care about and vice versa. So the first thing for me is to really fine tune what is the definition of success in those different groups. And you know, one thing I always ask myself is that definition of success, that small win that you were speaking about, does it actually help? a department you know creating a risk register is not a win updating a bia is not a win in 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 terms of it's too abstract so i always want people to go back to did you actually help a department more importantly how did you help people because if you're not helping people i hate to say it but honestly no one's really going to care So what I like to do with those small wins, how did I help someone specifically? How did I help a department? And those people become your resilience champions, right? Those people who are beneficiaries of your early success, you wanna use them as examples when you're talking to other departments. Hey, I spent some time with Mark and not only did we mitigate risk, but we helped them save some money so they had more money in their department budget you use those examples of your small successes to build to larger and larger successes and you really need those people that you've won with early on to be speaking out you know for you it's really important to have allies in your organization so i always ask people now who are struggling to fit in as a risk manager i say well you know who are your friends in the company who are your allies And if the person tells me they have no allies, um, I know it's a red flag. I know they're not connected to the people and to the organization the way they should be.
0: I want to follow up on that and talk about relationship building in a second, but I also want to inject the thought you were talking about having small wins. A lot of times in the middle of a crisis or even a major incident, you can demonstrate value, even if your program isn't mature yet, even if you don't have as resilient of an organization as you want to have, if you have some principles in place and you have some good communication skills, you can step up in the middle of a crisis and demonstrate value. I've seen it happen and and you can then leverage that. Absolutely. As
1: you know, managing during a crisis is completely different than managing during blue sky. It's stressful. Logistically, it's messy. Things go out the window. And if you can add value and show value, even with an immature organization, to your point, they say, oh, wow, that guy, Mark's really confident. He helped us a lot. He knows what he's doing. People are going to then listen to you and, and respect you and help you implement your ideas going forward.
0: And that doesn't mean it has to be perfect. I think sometimes we we let perfect get in the way of good.
1: Absolutely. I would say to someone who says that their program is perfect, I would say that they've never had to deal with an incident at all. There's no such thing as perfection in our industry.
0: Yep. I agree. You were talking about relationships and, and whether you have allies or not. How does relationship building help a practitioner increase the value that they bring to the organization? What, talk about the importance of building those allies.
1: I don't think you can succeed in our industry without building relationships. And an example that I use is in most organizations, if the accounting manager doesn't update their BIA or their BCP, historically, who gets in trouble? The accounting manager or us? It's usually us. Yep. Yep. So we get hired and promoted and demoted and fired based on our relationships. We are often an organization where people don't report to us. There is no carrot or stick. You have to get people to buy into what you're trying to do. And that's, for me, it goes back to, are you showing them value? And building relationships really allows you to understand that person's needs, and also their struggles. And I find if, if you can identify with a person, see what their challenges are, see what their department's needs are, if you're able to solve their problems through what we do, which is part of, I think what of our function is, is how do we mitigate risk, not just for the sake of mitigating risk, but mitigating risk to free up the organization to do other things. And I think if we're we're doing that, you are going to build relationships, strong relationships. Those people become your champions and then they become your allies. I've yet to see uh, in all my time consulting a successful business continuity manager or resilience manager that did not have very strong relationships throughout their organization.
0: So now I'm going to get you to put your your coaching hat on and talk specifically to someone who might be struggling. So we know some organizations, look, they focus on being resilient because it's the right thing to do, but some are just interested in checking off a box for compliance purposes. And I think it's our colleagues who work in this type of organization who are most likely going to struggle demonstrating value. So what do you recommend to someone who might be living through you know, that nightmare right now, what advice would you give?
1: So the first piece of advice I'm going to give, I guarantee your audience isn't going to like, so I apologize, but get a new job. And, um, I know that sounds strange, but, but hear me out. There are, are people who are, um, very happy and very comfortable with the status quo and running a check the box program. There are other people who are not, And if you're in that latter category, and that's where your company is, you should really consider leaving. And I say that from personal experience. I was brought in uh, at one point in my career to build a business continuity program for a company that they weren't at a zero mark, but maybe they were at a 0.1. And we got the program up to a three. Um, out of five, and I wanted to get us to a four and a half. Not everyone needs to be at a five, but I felt for that organization, we needed to be at a four and a half. And you know, the executive team decided, no, we're we're good at a three. We want to just maintain the status quo. And I said, you know, that's awesome, but that's not what I do. That's not where I thrive. And so I left. Yep. And so sometimes you may just be at an organization where they say, this is as far as we're going to go. And now it's maintained. And if you're cool with that, that's great. And if you're not cool with that, this is the hottest job market I've seen in my lifetime with you know what Wall Street Journal and all these um, periodicals are calling the great resignation. 55% of white collar workers in the United States are looking at other jobs. There are a ton of BC and resilience jobs Out there right now. So sometimes you may have to leave. Uh, So that's one option. Another option, if you don't want to leave and you're trying to convince your company, hey, check the box isn't good enough, I think we have this amazing opportunity right now for you to ask management say, hey, what we've done the last two years, did it allow the business to grow or did we just survive? And this is no longer a hypothetical question, which is why I love our profession right now. Maybe in the past, you were trying to convince management that's never had an incident of why this is important. Now, every company in the world has been dealing with a pandemic. We're at month, what, 17, 18? So it's no longer hypothetical. So I ask management, hey, are you happy with what we've done the last two years? Did we actually grow? the last two years. And most executives that I'm speaking to these days are saying no. The other thing to present to these organizations is we're really in this era of compounding events. Um, Our profession was historically focused on one thing happens, we respond to it, and then we move on. And that's not going to work anymore. That's why resilience and what we're doing with the resilience think tank is so important is you have these compounding events. Now a company is dealing with a global pandemic on top of a supply chain issue and for a lot of organizations on top of ransomware. Those compounding events, you are not going to survive if you're just checking the box. You're not going to survive if you're not growing to resilience. And you're not even gonna be prepared for what I call the next bump in the night, which is the next great unknown that we'll all be talking about.
0: Yeah, you're right. You mentioned ransomware and supply chain. Those are things we can see. They're foreseeable issues that we need to be addressing. And I think some of that value becomes incumbent upon the practitioner, the professional, to be able to grow into those new areas too, right? Become more aware of supply chain risks within the organization, we talk so much about disaster recovery forever, about it being a, you know, a lost data center, a fire at a data center. And these things are relatively low probability, but ransomware is not low probability. If you're paying attention at all, you understand that, you know, there's a high risk there. And so there's plenty of opportunity to leverage new risks and new threats to help drive the the program forward.
1: Absolutely. There's a lot of high probability events that are happening concurrently right now for a lot of organizations
0: James, coming to the end here, I, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about something that I know is important to you, and that's diversity in our industry, and we talk about value and we talk about making a difference in our organization. Talk about how diversity plays into that and 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 why it's so important to you
1: so um, diversity has always been an issue that I've been very passionate about and really my words turned into action in January. I spent some time, as I do every year over the holidays, thinking about the previous year and the upcoming year and you know what I want to accomplish financially, emotionally, professionally, spiritually, any LY bucket you can think of. I like to look at all that. And I've been, you know, thinking a lot about watching what happened uh, in the United States last summer with with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and and um, protest and my activism. And I just got to thinking, you know, is my activism limited to words or am I going to put actions behind it? And uh, I decided that, you know, words without action is is not very valuable. So I, I started taking action. So I, I've made decisions um, since January, where if I'm asked to be a keynote speaker at a conference, it all the other keynote speakers can't look like me. If I'm asked to moderate a panel, I won't moderate it if everyone looks like me. If I'm asked to be on a panel, I won't be on it if all the people look like me. And at first, Mark, I was a little nervous when I got asked to do opportunities and I would push back and say, hey, I'm not doing this because, frankly, it's all middle-aged white guys. And I was worried about how conference organizers or moderators or other panelists would react to that. And it's all been enthusiastically, oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's like make sure we are including uh, diversity of thought and experiences and as you know, that was one of the very important things for me with our, our co-founders of the Resilience Think Tank, that we are a diverse, truly diverse group, and you know, we have some information about diversity right in our bio. I think it's, it's something that's, that's very important. Um, diversity not only leads to equity and equality, but I think it leads to resilience you need to have diversity of thought in a room when you're dealing with an emerging risk or an unknown. Because if we all think the same, all of our um, possible solutions and answers are all going to be the same. So it's something that I'm very passionate about. And I'm very excited that you know working with you and our co-founders that we can put action and hopefully create momentum in that arena.
0: That's fantastic. Another example of your leadership. And and I appreciate what you said there. Uh, I'll get you out of here on this. If there's one or two people, anyone maybe left in the risk and resilience world who hasn't already connected with you, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you?
1: Uh, I am on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter under uh, James Green. I'm very active on both. So you can find me on either one of those.
0: All right. And we will include some links in the show notes. James, thank you so much. I knew it was going to be an interesting time. We'll have to have you back and um, we can pick, you know, any number of topics to continue the conversation.
1: Thanks, Mark. I appreciate it.
0: All right. Thank you, James. One of the things I enjoy most about doing this podcast is that I get to interview some really smart people. Huge thanks to James Green for being my guest today and a special thanks to ClearRisk for sponsoring the Resilient Journey podcast. Our conversation about articulating value continues next time when I interview Ashley Guzman. Ashley runs the Business Continuity and Crisis Management Program for Liberty Mutual Insurance. And she is also a co-founder of the Resilience Think Tank. Ashley is going to talk about ways that you can future-proof your career. So join us next time, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.